This is the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast, where every day we work with students to be problem solvers, critical thinkers, collaborators, and using of our lifelong guidelines and life skills. Today's episode continues the discussion on conceptual learning. We'd like to welcome to the podcast today Katie Murren and Arielle Kennedy, our curriculum coaches here at Clayton Bradley Academy. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Kendall. And both of them have been interviewed on the podcast before, and um, at the time they were being interviewed as teachers, and then uh, we made a transition since then that now they both are curriculum coaches. Katie is helping uh, still teach in a room while we've got uh, a teacher out on maternity leave, but uh, half of the time she's in the classroom now and half the time she's doing curriculum coach stuff, and Ariel is now uh, full-time in curriculum coaching, working with uh, all of our staff, but specifically concentrating on the upper school Uh, teachers and this is a a conversation that's been going on for a while as we look at our curriculum because of what we ask our teachers to do in the classroom when it comes to curriculum of actually building their entire curriculum Uh, with the the fact that we don't hand people uh, curriculum that has been developed by a company down somewhere that's connected to a textbook and that sort of thing does add a little bit more of a challenge to our teachers but it makes the learning more genuine in the classroom and both of you have experienced that on the teacher side of, of things, of, of walking into a situation where you don't have a textbook, which might be the way you were trained in college and or have taught at another location, and being said, told that you're going to follow standards and that you're going to build curriculum and the challenge that comes with that. It's exciting, but it is a challenge, um, and it allows the creativity of the teacher to come out as well as the individualization of the student. And so let's just start there. So go back to when you were coming into the school, you're coming, walking into a classroom from different uh, backgrounds, but you're walking into the classroom and you're starting to, to get this understanding that we, we're, not, we're not buying a curriculum here. We're not gonna buy uh, uh, something from a textbook company or something from a, a program, but we're really going to ask you as a professional to look at the standards and to build what it is that our students are gonna do what were some of the the just struggles right out of the gate that that you had with that what were your thoughts on that let's just start there like what what was going through your head whenever if you can remember back several years whenever that was the case you know for me i'll definitely say that in college i was taught to teach from a book um, from a program that a school would buy um so stepping into a school where that wasn't going to be handed to me uh, it was definitely a challenge Luckily for me, I had some wonderful mentors um, who had already really looked at the first and second grade standards and really organized them based off of what worked best together. Um, But then also, you know, they gave me the freedom to look at the standards if I wanted to move some of those around, like for quarter or in the different quarters, um, because I thought that they, you know, fit better with other standards. Um, I was able to do so, but it definitely is pretty overwhelming at first. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Ariel? Well, I came from a public education background. And so being able to step away from teaching out of public school where you had to have this standard by September and this standard by um, August or August or September. And so you had to have certain standards by certain days done if you were going to stick to your curriculum map and get everything ready to go when that state test came. And so uh, stepping out of that first, it was like, oh, well, I need to build a new curriculum map. I don't, but at the same time, it was, oh, I have the freedom to teach 
in whatever order I want to teach these. I have the freedom to move at the pace that my students want to move at. I have the freedom to go deeper into certain standards um, that are really important for their for our students' development um, and for their project-based learning and these real-world experiences. So it's definitely overwhelming, but at the same time, just the ability to say, you know what, this year I taught this standard first but next year I'm going to teach it at the end of the year because it makes a whole lot more sense and it does better with what the science department is doing or what the humanities department is doing. So being able to make the standards match uh, what's best for our students has been has been great stepping here at CBA. Yeah, and that's something that people that are not in education uh, might not realize is is in a lot of larger school settings and public school settings. I mean, it they tell you what you're teaching and, and when you're teaching it. Um, I know you know, you, you have to be on chapter seven when everybody else is on chapter seven. Um, and if you deviate from that, you know, you, the, you've got to answer to that of why you're deviating from that and then how are you going to get back on pace with everybody else. And so there's a freedom that comes with from that for the teacher of saying, hey, you're not having to do that. But I think one of the things that we notice being a smaller school is that, yeah, you don't have to keep up maybe with chapter three because, you know, the team is on chapter three. but sometimes there's not a team sometimes you're really out there by yourself now we work to put our teachers in mentor groups and and all of our grade levels now have a a partner on the other side of the hallway so to speak that is able to help maybe talk through some of that but we don't make our teachers cover chapter three or or idea number two or whatever it may be at the same time because we also want those teachers to be able to to figure out what works with their students and develop those relationships and go, hey, let's let's go this route because our students are really into this idea or this topic and, and we can go deeper here. Um, but I think that also is what brought on the, the need for the curriculum coach position was this understanding that our teachers really do still need people to, to talk to and to bounce ideas off of and to say, hey, what what do I need to do next or where do I need to start? And so if you were sitting down with a teacher today that was kind of in that boat, and you guys have worked with some of our new teachers, so you have been in those, those conversations, and you're saying, okay, you know, teacher X, this is your first year here, this is how we do things, where do you start in this model, and, and kind of how do you help them figure out how to do this, something that they may have as a teacher never done before? Yeah, so I, I like to tell these teachers, first and foremost, you are not in a silo. So if you're teaching chemistry, that's great, but chemistry is not its own silo. If you're teaching math, that's great, but math is not its own silo. The goal is you may be the only one teaching high school chemistry or the only one teaching sixth grade science, um, but the goal is the person next door to you that's teaching English, the person next door to you that's teaching math wants to collaborate and integrate with you. Um, and being able to talk to them, being able to know what's going on in their classroom is gonna give you a better idea of what you should do with your standards. Um, and so being able to have that, those mentor groups and those coaching groups here um, has been a great, uh, it's a great for any of our teachers, whether you've been here for one year, whether you've been here for five years, or for those, this is our 10th year. So if you're going into your 10th year, and so being able to know that you have, you may be the only one teaching that one subject, but the person next door wants to integrate with you and wants to work with you with those standards. Nice. What yeah, about you, Kate? I, I would say, it, you know, lower school is a tiny bit different in the way that you know, the core teacher teaches all the subjects. Um, so really encouraging teachers to, you know, break down their standards per quarter, but also how do they 
um, relate and combine with other standards. So, you know, when you're talking about space, you could also be talking about geometry at the same time because those easily correlate with each other. Um, and so just sitting down, really breaking down the standards to where you see that they can make cross-curricular um, connections with um, a whole different subject. Nice. You know, and, and I think one thing that we have learned about how the brain works, and, and there's been some podcasts with Dr. Jordan and, and uh, Miss Bradley that they started to develop these ideas and help us understand some of these ideas of the fact that the brain likes these large concepts that they can attach learning to. And so we take that into the classroom. We call it conceptual learning, but we take that idea in the classroom of kind of answering that question for students of why am I learning this or why am I here um, right now? I know as a science teacher, I would get that on a regular basis. You know, kids would come in. I don't like science. They would always say that, which I thought was always funny because they were breathing. They just ate lunch. They were digesting. Like all the science was working. That's why they were here. But um, and they would say, like, I don't like science. And so then no matter what we were learning, it's like, why am I learning? When am I ever going to use this? Those kind of questions. And so conceptual learning is one of those ideas that says, okay, let's look at some bigger ideas in life and say, how does what we're doing, how do the standards that we're breaking down, that we're piecing together, that we're saying which standards go with what, um, then feed into this bigger concept of what we're doing. And we ask people to do this from preschool all the way up through 12th grade. So this is not one of those things of like, oh, that's real cute at this grade level, but then as kids get older, they don't want to do that anymore. But helping them understand that what they're learning actually fits into this bigger world. And so when you were in uh, first, second grade and currently still helping in first grade, <laughs> so when you think about that of helping them understand like what we're learning fits into a bigger world, what are some concepts that you guys would use both the whole year concept, but then even looking at how we break that down into smaller concepts throughout the, their, their learning. Absolutely. So in first grade, um, the first one that comes to mind is, or to mind is the year long concept is structure. So we start by talking about, you know, our school community is a structure, our classroom community is a structure, our families are a structure, but then we tie in, you know, our life cycles have a structure to them, animals have structure to them. Um, our numbers, our number sense has structure to it. Place value is a type of structure. Um, and then throughout the year, we add in function. So what is the function? What's the purpose of that structure? Um, you know, we eventually get to talking about government. Government has a structure. Each part of that structure has a function. Um, and so you can tie that into reading skills, phonics skills, math skills. Um, but then they start seeing it everywhere. Um, you know, whether it's like structure being built on campus um, and or, you know, the structure of bridges, you know, they start seeing that each structure is made purposefully for its function. Um, and then like in second grade, we talk a lot about interdependence. That's our big concept um, and how everything depends on something. So we start very basic um, talking about how we depend on each other in class to use our life skills and our lifelong guidelines. Um, we learn about people of the past and how we've depended on them to, you know, know our, the knowledge we have today, how we depend on our families. Um, but then go back to, you know, in math, we depend on the structure of numbers to tell us the value of digits. Um, we depend on, um, going back to structure again, we kind of correlate those two by second grade mm -hmm. um, for addition sub subtraction. Um, we depend on um, certain land structures um, to give us our geography. And so it, they start using that vocabulary everywhere because it is, you know, 
in their daily world everywhere. Um, so it's really cool for them to see what we're doing in math can relate to any field in the real world. Absolutely. You know, the things you were talking about as a science teacher makes me very happy because <laughs> I would love to get kids in high school that understood uh, structure and function. That was yeah. a, a big yes. thing that I was still teaching in biology mm -hmm. as well as interdependence. If like mm -hmm. we can get those two down by the time they get to high school, we're going to go some places um, in, in biology. But um, those are those big concepts. And like you said, they're mm -hmm. everywhere. Mm -hmm. And then for the kids to start seeing what I'm learning right now fits into life mm -hmm. that's the goal as they get as they get bigger some of these words uh, come up again but sometimes we go with different ideas different concepts so Aria what's uh, what are some of the things that you worked with either in math or even in just the high school in general of ways that I know you've interacted with a lot of other not just math classes as you were talking about that connection between humanities or, or science or whatever. So what are some of those examples for you that, that either you've used or you've seen used uh, at the upper grade level? Um, so it's funny, Katie, that you mentioned structure because <laughs> one of my year-long themes one year was the idea of structure in math. So how do you structure your work? How, do you, how is math structured? Um, what is the structure in statistics or the structure for, for building through a math problem? So structure's actually been one of the ones that I've used before. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and so, so one concept that we use a lot at the high school and the middle school, it's great. Our sixth and seventh grade team, as well as I think our humanities classes are currently using the idea of perspective. Mm. Um, and so like for our sixth and seventh grade team, um, all four teachers have that same year long theme, that same concept of perspective. So in math class, you're looking at uh, if you're looking at statistics, what's your perspective? What perspective does the statistics say? What perspective do other people have? If you're looking at uh, our Earth space science standards, so what perspective can you have of space? What perspective can you have of the world or of the environment? Um, our social studies sixth and seventh grade are looking at uh, each, each Egyptian culture this year. So what's the perspective of them? And then in ELA class, they're writing papers about their perspective. How do they uh, talk about what they believe um, or what other people believe? And then in our humanities department, uh, I know a lot of our, one of our humanities teachers is using the idea of perspective. And that's big um, in our Harkness discussions at the high school level where students are learning to talk about what their perspective is on something that they've read, but then also be responsible and respectful to other people's perspectives and be able to see both sides, write those argumentative papers, whether you're for or against something, but how do you support your perspective or how do you support somebody else with their perspective that goes against yours? Yeah, and, and that's the idea, once again, of, of realizing that what we're doing in class is actually got a bigger purpose, that it's connected to something that I might use down the road to say, why am I writing this paper? Well, yeah, you're writing a paper and you're learning how to write a paper or how to write an essay or how to cite sources correctly, but you're doing it because you're trying to help un someone else, else understand your perspective or you're doing it in a way to help support somebody else and, and what their perspective is. That That's really cool to think of it like that. Um, I know for, for me, one of the years I used observation in biology because everything we did in science was based on observation. You know, if we're talking about evolution, well, we're talking about it through the lens of what do we observe and why do we say, you know, what we say in evolution? Well, it's because of what is being observed through years and years of, of research. And, and the same with heredity. Why do we see what we see whenever, you know, you look at all these traits? Well, it's through observation that we're, we're figuring that out. And then you start to go deeper to say, well, if I observe this, what's the reason behind it? And so helping kids understand like there's a bigger idea out there of why we do what we do 
is, is a major part of the curriculum that we ask our teachers to write. This has been the Ignition Point, Clayton Bradley Academy's podcast where every day we work with students to become problem solvers, critical thinkers, collaborators, and users of lifelong guidelines and life skills. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like more information, you can check out our website at www.claytonbradleyacademy.org. You can schedule a tour. You can come see us. We have trainings that you can pay to, to be a part of. We have all kinds of ways that you can interact with us and learn more about what we do here every day to help students learn the way the brain needs to learn. Thank you once again so much for listening, and we hope that you have a great day.